Good morning to each one. I greet you in Jesus' precious name. And uh, Ivan contacted me um, about sharing this morning. I was, my mind went in various different ways, different directions. And uh, so I finally decided that I would look at a passage that has been very good for me to look at, and that is about Zacchaeus. I know when we think about Zacchaeus, we think about this short little man. And that passage is found in Luke chapter 19, the first 10 verses. It's been a passage that I've, we're all familiar with it, but it did me a lot of good to just dig into it and actually get a little bit of, of uh, insight on Zacchaeus and what his life consisted of. We know he's a tax collector. But anyway, let's read the passage, Luke 19, verses 1 to 10. Then Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. Now behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus, who was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. And he sought to see who Jesus was, but could not because of the crowd, for he was, a sh was of short stature. So he ran ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was going to pass by that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw him and said to him, Zacchaeus, make haste, come down, for today I must stay at your house. So he made haste and came down and received him joyfully. But when they saw it, they all complained, saying, He has gone to be a guest with a man who is a sinner. Then Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, I give half of my goods to the poor, and if I have taken anything from anyone by false accusation, I restore fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save which was lost." Looking at this passage, from what I understand and, and looking at, according to the commentator, this was the last time that Jesus passed through Jericho. And this man named Zacchaeus and the in that setting. For being he was a tax collector, he wasn't just an ordinary tax collector, but he was a chief tax collector. In a lot of people's eyes, these tax collectors were just despicable people. I mean, they hated them because these tax collectors had the, the Romans backing them. Well, if you went against the Romans, 
There were severe consequences. And these tax collectors knew that. And it says that he was rich. And in looking at this, I was thinking, wouldn't it be nice if we could set our wages whatever we want to? And if there was a day that we, well, we needed $100 more over here, like, well, I'm going to get $100 extra today because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get it. Well, that's what Zacchaeus did. If he needed more money, he took it, and he stuck it in his own pocket. And there was nothing the people could do. They were totally helpless. So this man was utterly despised because he was a tax collector and he was rich. And he could take from the people and there was nothing they could do. Um, but there was a void in Zacchaeus' life. We also have a void in our lives. It said that, that Zacchaeus sought to see Jesus. And I don't know... I was just in my own little mind thinking, you know, it says that Zacchaeus was a small, was small in stature. So I don't know how tall he was, but just in my mind, I'm thinking he's, you know, maybe, maybe a little over four feet. I don't know, four and a half feet, under five feet. I don't know, but he was small. Well, for bands of the crowd, all these tall people, but he wanted to see Jesus. And so he decided to run ahead and climb up the sycamore tree. I was thinking, what, what for effort do I put forth to meet God from, on a day-to-day basis? Do I just haphazardly go through life? Or do I take extra measure to go out of my way to look at God's word, to meet Jesus. And that's what Zacchaeus, he had a longing to see Jesus. He may not have wanted to have a, any interaction with Jesus, but he wanted to see him. I don't know that for sure, but that's just speculation. So he ran ahead of the crowd to, to see this, this man that they call Jesus. And then Jesus walking along and the crowd following him. Let me back up just a little bit. No. Oh, anyway, so as Jesus was walking, he, even though he was, this crowd was around him, and of course I'm sure there's a lot of chatter going on and there's a lot of activity, a lot of distractions, but Jesus was aware of his situation. He was aware of the people that were around him. And I don't know, but I would tend to think that Zacchaeus didn't want to make a show of this. 
Maybe he was up there kind of behind the tree looking around to see if he can see Jesus. I don't know. But Jesus noticed him. Even, even though with everything else that was going on, he, he noticed Zacchaeus in a tree. Did he walk on by and say, Hi, Zacchaeus, have a good day. No, he stopped. And Jesus commanded him to come down. He wanted to go to his house. He took time for Zacchaeus. And did Zacchaeus argue with him about getting off of the tree and coming down to him? Here in verse 6 it says, he made haste. He, I mean, he didn't waste no time coming down. And Jesus said, Zacchaeus, make haste. Or no, I'm sorry, that's verse 5. But in verse 6, he said that Zacchaeus came down in haste. And received him joyfully. Zacchaeus was just thrilled that this man named Jesus noticed him and took time to talk to him and to interact with him. But what did the crowd do? People who were following Jesus, what did they do? Said they complained. Why? Why do you want to? Spend time with a sinner like this. He's robbing us blind. He's taking things that don't belong to him. Why do you want to spend time with him? How many times do I complain and grumble when I think that things don't go the way that I think they should? The people that were following, and these people were following Jesus, and they complained and I'm like, why do you want to be a guest with a sinner? Um, anyway, and 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 I I see Zacchaeus so much in myself that that uh Zacchaeus, before he met Jesus, he, he, was, he was looking at himself, and, and all of our default nature is to make sure that, that I'm taken care of and that I have what I need or what I want, and make sure that, that my needs are met before anybody else's. And that's how Zacchaeus was before he met Jesus. But we see just a complete 360. And when Jesus got a hold of Zacchaeus' heart, what a difference that made. And what a difference it can make in our lives when Jesus gets a hold of our hearts. But anyway, so 
Jesus goes to Zacchaeus' house, and Jesus didn't, he didn't have to tell Zacchaeus that he was a sinner and that he needed, you know, a savior. In verse 8, it's, it says, Then Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Lord, I give half of my goods to the poor, and if have taken anything from anyone by false accusation, I restore fourfold. So here, Zacchaeus has a brand new heart now. And he's, without Jesus even telling him that this is what he needs to do, he did it on his own because of the conviction that he was under. Backing up to... um, To verse 5, the challenge here, as, when, when Jesus saw Zacchaeus, the challenge for me was that I had pulled from this, was that as I go, from my, go through my daily activities, am I so preoccupied in my own things that I don't see the needs of others around me? Or do I... Am I willing to lay aside my own agenda, my own things that I would like to accomplish, and use that time to help others? That's a challenge that I receive from that, is to not be so wrapped up in myself that I don't see the needs um, of other people around me. And also in in Luke chapter 3, verses 12 and 13, it, uh, it brings out that even tax collectors came to be baptized, and they asked the teacher, what should we do? And this is the instruction that he gave them. Don't collect any more than you are required to. And that and so here here we even though these the even though that these collect, tax collectors were so hated and so despised, their blood was just as red as ours. We're no different than they are. They're people too, they're humans. And here, he gives them clear instruction of what to do to not take more than what is required. And then the... um, the most important part of this of this passage is is in verses 9 and 10. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because he also is a son of Abraham. And then verse 10, 
For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. <clears throat> According to the, the commentator, this where it says the son of Abraham, I don't know that he literally was the son of Abraham, but it, it talks about the faith that Abraham had and the faith that Zacchaeus had. I don't know if, if, yeah, that was just speculation, what the commentary brought out. But like Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus was willing to allow Jesus into his house. Obviously, Zacchaeus did not have time to prepare beforehand to allow him to enter into his house. But to Zacchaeus, that didn't matter. He was so excited to have Jesus come to his house. And as I was thinking about this, about applying this to my own life, am I that excited to allow Jesus into my own heart? As how Zacchaeus was to allow Jesus to enter into his house, his physical house. How, I'm, how excited am I on letting Jesus into my heart? <clears throat> and just by allowing him to enter into our hearts will allow us to do things that we have never thought that would be, that would be possible. And in Luke uh, chapter 5, verse 31, it says, Jesus answered, I'm not sure exactly what the setting is here, but Jesus answered and said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. And in uh, verse 32 of that same chapter, it says, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And that's where... Zacchaeus met Jesus, met him as a sinner, and repented, and told Jesus that he would, that he would restore fourfold. He went a, way above and beyond of what was required of him to do. And then Matthew eighteen eleven says, "For the Son of Man has come to save that which was lost." So that's the, the, um, the challenge that I want to leave. And I mean, yeah, as I looked at this passage, it was, it was really good for me to look into it, to, to look at the life of Zacchaeus and to just, Zacchaeus was open. I mean, he didn't hold anything back. He just poured it all out. And, and Jesus told him, today salvation has come to your house. And in, in closing, there's a quote that, that was sent to me the other day via, via text. And it, the quote is from John Wooden. And it, and it goes like this. 
Be more concerned with your character than your reputation because your character is what you really are while your reputation while your reputation is merely what other th others think you are thank you thank you henry for those challenging words and it's amazing time and time again how god kind of weaves the service together obviously he didn't know what i was talking about and i didn't know what he was talking about but uh henry kind of talked about the practical side of following christ of following jesus after he changes our hearts gives us a new heart we see that in the life of zacchaeus what I want to talk about here is a little more general, in a sense. Obviously, Christ has a lot of different aspects to him. And we can, we, and we will obviously, we want to emulate or we want to follow Christ as Christians. And the one aspect that I was thinking about this week was the fact that Jesus is the light of the world. What, what all does that mean? So I have quite a bit of scripture here this morning that I want to read. Maybe not as many comments, but these scripture verses are pretty powerful. If you think about John's writings, he writes a lot about Jesus being the light of the world or light. So the first passage I want to read, if you want to follow along, it's in John 1, 1 to 12. Very, very familiar verses here. And I'm going to be reading from the NIV, but just notice how many times in these 12 verses the theme of light comes through here. So this is the Gospel of John, chapter 1, the first 12 verses. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made, without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. There came a man who was sent from God, his name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all men might believe. He himself was not the light, he came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God. So quite a few times in here, the word light is mentioned. And I think the key verse that I want to point out here, referring to Christ, is verse 4. Obviously, verse 3 talks about God creating. God was in the beginning with, I mean, Christ was in the beginning with God. They created the world together. 
But verse 4, referencing Jesus here, in him was life. We know that. We know that Jesus is life. We can have new life in him. But how is that life manifested? That life was the light of men. So you see a correlation here between life and light. Think about, I know that Simon, over the years, that you've, you've grown a lot of things in your garden, tomato plants, corn, whatever. Stick those in a dark, put those down in your basement, whatever, in complete darkness, no light, what's going to happen to those plants? They're going to die, right? So you need to have light in order to have life, and that is what Jesus brings here. His light drives away the darkness of sin in our hearts. It lets us shine as children of God. The interesting thing is here, in referring to Christ as the light, it says the darkness did not understand it. So Jesus came into the world as the light from God, the light from heaven, the light of truth, the light of life. The people did not recognize him. It's only in, in verse 12 there it tells us, if we receive Christ, if we believe in his name, that's when we understand the light. And not only that, but he gives us the right to become the children of God. And I have to think about what Henry shared about Zacchaeus. He might not have been a son of Abraham through his blood, but because of his belief in Christ, he was, he was a son of Christ. So Jesus is the light that gives life. That's what I want us to understand here. And how's and you know if Jesus' light and His life is inside us, it's going to make a difference how we relate to others. I think about what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount that we are the light of the world. You know, a city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. People don't hide a candle under a bushel, but it's going to give light to those around us. Um, and then Jesus even tells us there in Matthew 5 to let your light shine before men. Why? So they can see your good works. And not only that, but so that they can glorify God. They can glorify our Father, which is in heaven. Turning over to 1 Thessalonians 5. And we're going to get into this in Sunday school. Before too long, the end of verse four, or the end of chapter four, Paul is talking about the second coming of Christ in verse one through eleven in chapter five of First Thessalonians continues that theme, but he brings out once again here, I guess this is Paul, not John, but he also brings out difference or the contrast between light and darkness, between night and day. So 1 Thessalonians 5, 1 to 11. Now brothers, about times and dates, we do not need to write to you, for you know very well that the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, while people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman and they will not escape. But you, brothers, are not in darkness, so that this day should surprise you like a thief. 
Verse 5, you are all sons of the light and sons of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. So then let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be alert and self-controlled. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be self-controlled, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build up each other just as, in fact, you are doing. So if we're believers, if we're following Christ wholeheartedly, the second coming of Jesus and the judgment of God that follows should not take us by surprise. Paul says here in verse 2 that the second or the day of the Lord or the second coming of Christ, it will happen like a thief in the night. But in verse 4 there, it should not take us by surprise. And why is that? If you look in verse 5, it kind of gives us the answer there. You are sons of the light and sons of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. So if we're children of the light, if we're not asleep, if we're not walking around in the darkness of sin. And so if, we, if you're living in the day, if you're living in the light, if you're walking in the light, we're following Christ, his second coming is going to be something that we're looking forward to. And it's not going to take us by surprise. In verse 8 there, he kind of, Paul gives us some things to do while we are waiting. We're supposed to be self-controlled, it says here. In verse, uh, I know, in, other, in, another, in another of Paul's writings, he talks about the armor of God. Obviously, it's very familiar there. I think that's Ephesians. But here he talks a little bit about it as well. We're in verse 8, we're supposed to put on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. So while we're waiting on the second coming of Christ, we're supposed to be self-controlled and put on these spiritually protective, the spiritually protective armor of faith, hope, and love. Ultimately, as we walk with God, we we're looking forward to being with him someday. But God wants us to be with him right now on the here on this earth. He wants us to have a relationship with him. Obviously, and he also wants us to be with him in eternity. But as we're waiting on on that time, we can have a relationship with him right here and right now. And it's interesting there in verse 11, I know in, in our Sunday school, especially today, Paul was talking about how the, the church here in Thess Thessalonica encouraged him by their life. And then he encouraged them and it was just kind of a circle of encouragement. 
And Paul says here in verse 11 in chapter 5 to encourage one another and build each other up. So that's also something we need to do as we're waiting on Christ and his second coming. We need to shine the light of God's love to those around us, both to encourage the believers and to convict those that are in unbelief, that do not know Christ. The hope of eternity sustains us in our day-to-day living. Okay, then jumping back to another of John's, or I guess forward here in your Bibles, to another of John's writings. This would be from 1 John, starting in chapter 1, verses 5 to 7. And just like in his gospel, here in his epistle, John also talks about light and life. So first John 1, 5 to 7, and then jumping over to chapter 2. We're going to be reading verses 3 to 6 and 9 to 11. So kind of just picking out some verses here related to light and life. First John 1, 5 to 7. This is John writing, obviously. This is the message we have heard from him, or from Jesus, and declare to you, God is light, in him there is no darkness at all. And these verses, I I forgot to preface it with this, these verses are are very much of a challenge to us. Verse 6. If we claim to have fellowship with him, yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. So our lives, our walk, are going to reflect whether or not we are walking in the light or we're walking in the darkness of sin. Very familiar verse here, verse 7. If we walk in the light as he is in the light. So what does that mean? We're supposed to emulate, we're supposed to follow, and not just follow, but be like Christ. And if we're not doing that and say we are, then we are, it says here plainly in verse 6 that we are lying and not living in the truth. So if we walk in the light, in the light, we have fellowship with one another. So living in harmony with others is one evidence of, as I like to call it, light living. At the end there of verse 7, walking in the light also keeps us under the life-giving flow of the blood of Jesus. It says, The blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. And jumping over, as I said, to chapter 2, verses 3 to 6. We know that we have come to know him, or we have come to know Christ, or God, if we obey his commands. The man who says, I know him, but does not do what he commands, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But if anyone obeys his word, God's love is is truly made complete in him. This is how we know that we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. 
And that's a that's a big that's a big one there in my mind. Walking as Jesus did. Jesus, obviously, he he was in tune with the Father. He was in perfect harmony with him, in tune with his will. Even when it came to laying down his life on the cross, he he really, really didn't want to do it, but he said, Father, if it's your will, it's going to be my will as well. So how many times are we facing things in our lives that just go against our spirit, that go against our flesh, and we we know it's God's will for us, but we kind of chafe against that. And if we look at Jesus as the example, he did it because he knew it was the Father's will. So we need to walk as Jesus walked, and that's, that could be a whole nother, we could talk for an hour on that. But obeying God's commands is evidence of Obeying him, of living in his, of living in the light, I guess. With that, we see that in verse 3. So just another evidence of, of light living. And kind of the flip side of that, of, of following Christ, of walking in, in his footsteps, of walking in the light of God, is found in verses 9 to 11. Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates his brother is still in the darkness. Whoever loves his brother lives in the light, and there is nothing in him to make him stumble. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. He does not know where he's going because the darkness has blinded him. So instead of God's love in us perfecting us, we hate our brothers, it's a sure sign that we are walking or living in the darkness. And if we talk, we talked a little bit about the you know, tomato plants, you put them in darkness, they're going to die. That's is what's going to happen to our spiritual lives if we are hating our brother for not walking in love or walking in harmony with each other. <clears throat> says here in verse 11 you're walking in darkness and you besides that you don't even know where you're going because you're applying from the darkness hatred it disrupts our lives it leaves us in confusion and it also blinds us to the truths that are found in God's in God's word So I, I was just, it's just very powerful here. The are we walking the talk? Or are we just talking the talk? What's how are, how is is the light of Jesus shining out of us? And is that what is characterizing characterizing I should say our walk? Kind of the verse that wrapping up here. The verse that got me thinking about this is very familiar. I think everybody probably quoted by memory, and that's from Psalm 119.105. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light for my path. Obviously, if we have a, lant, a lantern or a flashlight, we're going to be able to see where we're going. And not only is the word of God that 
lamp, that light in our lives. But if we think about what we just read here in John, Jesus himself is light. And he is, he's called the word as well. And so Jesus can be our guide, needs to be our guide as we follow him. Obviously also we need to, to follow and to read and to be engrossed in, be involved in God's word because his word is truth and it's living and breathing as well and it has the power to change us because it is truth. It's not just a bunch of words on a page. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light for my path in this darkness of sin. One more verse here to close with and then as I as was mentioned before we're follow up with um, taking prayer requests and having share time after this. Psalm 36 9 for with you is the fountain of life in your light we see light. I think David there is referring to God and we also can think that he was referring to Jesus. If we're living in his light, if we're living under his direction, there's going to be a fountain of life springing out of us. We're going to be able to see things that he wants us to see. We're going to be able to do things that he wants us to do. Basically, God's light and his love in us allows us to live life here on earth to the full. And his love is within us is without end, and we can share that with others it's it's going to be overflowing it's going to be more than enough to share with those around us so as people this week look at your life are they going to be able to say hey that guy is different that guy is there's something about him that I want to to know more about and if they say that then that we know that that's the light of Christ in us and shining away through this darkness of, of this world.